let's get to the word, all right? I'm excited about the day. My voice was raspy, still raspy, but I am determined to declare to you what I believe the Lord is saying. This is Pentecost Sunday. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I want you to go in your Bible to the book of John. It's going to be an interesting message today about Pentecost. And I've been wrestling with several different titles to this message. I think this is the one I like the most. And it just simply says this. Are you ready for Pentecost? Now, how many knows what Pentecost really is? Matter of fact, I'll just lay a little bit of groundwork and then we're going to go into John chapter chapter 14 starting at the first verse. But let me lay just a little bit of groundwork for some of you that don't know what Pentecost is. For most, for a lot of people that you grew up like me, uh, Pentecost is about our Pentecostal beliefs. It actually, every one of us will go because it, from the book of Acts chapter 2, we'll deal with that in just a few moments. But Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 4 says this, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one place and they were in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were setting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that set upon each one of them. And they began to speak and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now most of us, that's really all we know about Pentecost. Not realizing that Pentecost was one of the feasts. Pentecost actually means 50. That's all it simply means. It was 50. It was one of the three feast seasons that God established in covenant with Moses and the children of Israel back in the book of Exodus. It was one of those seasons where God said three times a year, I want my people to come before me and present themselves before me and bring an offering. That's what That's what the scripture taught us. 50 simply symbolized this. Remember, Pentecost is 50. It meant it was 50 days from Passover to Sinai. That's where it got its first origin. And that's where the law was given on Pentecost or at Sinai. But how many knows what happened upon the mountain? There was thick cloud, there was thundering, there was lightning, and God had called Moses to come up and he was giving him the law. And while he's giving them the law, the people lost sight of Moses and decided they needed something to to bring security to them. And so they had Aaron make a golden calf and God saw what was happening down below and 3,000 people died at that moment. Keep that in mind, very important because it's about the history of Pentecost. And so that was a, that was a, uh, a perpetual, I guess you could say, a perpetual feast that would be held by Israel. It is also called the, the, the feast uh, or the uh, celebration of first fruits. 
believing this, that there was an early harvest that would come in the late spring and early summer and then it would set up for the final harvest that would come in the fall. It was a first fruits offering that would be brought that would symbolize a great harvest that was yet to come in. It was also called the Feast of Weeks because in the book of Leviticus, God ordered the time a little bit different with Moses and said, you shall observe this. Remember, it was from Passover to Sinai, but God said instead of Passover, it would be the first Sabbath past Passover that would carry it a few more days and lead it into this time. So when you and I read through the book of Acts chapter two and we start at verse one and it says this, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. That's not there for no reason. It was there because God was doing something fresh and something new. Now, when you're coming up in my upbringing as a Pentecostal, I'm that to the bone. I'm not ashamed of it, but we made a denomination out of it instead of really what Pentecost really is about for all of us. You know, Pentecostals were were like this. There'd probably be a number of you would say, I'm Pentecostal in this room. Maybe not everybody, but because we were, we speak in tongues. And that just seems like got to be the thing we were after. We got to speak in tongues and now we got power. Uh, But I've got a problem here because I know a lot of Pentecostals that speak in tongues, but we got very little power. But that was one of the things that God said would happen when the Holy Ghost would be poured out. He said, I will give you power. Hello, are are you okay? Follow with me this morning. It's gonna get good because this is really about a life that we live. So in the book of John chapter 14, let me crawl into some things with you. And I believe because this chapter, the book of John, the gospels is setting us up really for Pentecost and what God was going to do through that great outpouring that would come upon the earth. For three years, Jesus had walked with these disciples. Three years he'd walk with them. He's told them things that were coming. He showed them how. He gave them authority and he said, I want you to go heal the sick and I want you to go cleanse lepers. I want you to go raise the dead and I want you to cast out demons and and I want you to reveal me to all the earth. Everywhere you go, you're gonna go show me. He gave them that authority. Matter of fact, when he called them, he said, follow me. He called these fishermen, first people he called. He said, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. See, it's the first thing. The moment that Holy Spirit was going to do was to bring in a great harvest. It wasn't just to get us to the point that we're, listen, that we're seeing miracles and I'm all for miracles. I want to be a part of miracles. But the end result of that is a great harvest has got to come in because that's the heart of the Father. See, we Pentecostals, we get excited when Holy Ghost fills the room and we're running and jumping and we're shouting and then we leave and Holy Ghost stays there. Hello. And we keep crying for revival and maybe the reason is it's because we haven't understood Pentecost. Y'all really got quite there. 
So now he's come to this point, you know, Jesus took him to the upper room, had this meal with them, and he's getting ready. He's getting ready, and he's telling them, I'm getting ready to leave you guys. I gotta go. I can't stay with you. This visible Jesus that moved in power and might, that walked with them in flesh and blood, is telling them, I gotta go. And something happens here as he tells them that he's gonna go die for the sins of the world. And Peter says, Lord, I'm gonna go with you wherever you go. I'll never deny you. And Jesus talks to him at the end of chapter 13 and said, Peter, before the cock crows, you're gonna deny me. And listen to the words of Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Boy, that's a great funeral verse. And we've made that all about heaven. And the reality was, it never was about us going to heaven. But pastor, it's talking about a mansion. We used to sing that old song. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Y'all remember that? In that great land where we'll never, some of you know it. So it really comforts our heart to know that we've got a mansion. And so at funerals, that's a great verse to use. But I don't think it had anything to do with the funeral. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house are many mansions. The word mansion there actually is defined as is many dwelling places. In my father's house are many dwelling places. In father's house. So back up, let's look through the Gospels for a little bit because we can't just substantiate everything upon one verse. Isn't it interesting when Jesus starts his early ministry, one of the first things that he wants to do, he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. First thing that it is, I grew up like this, God isn't gonna dwell in an unclean temple. Right? So he goes in and he cleans the temple. He said, you've made it a house of merchandise. So that's in the beginning of John. Go read it. John chapter chapter one, I believe it is. It's the beginning of it. So then he goes through this, through this, and then we come, and one of the last things that he does, according to the gospels of Matthew and Luke, he goes back to the temple again, And he said, my house now shall be called a house of worship or a house of prayer for all nations. And it was not only there, but remember when he came out of the the temple being hungry and seeing a fig tree with leaves on it and having no fruit, he looks at the tree immediately and he says, cursed are you from this day forward. Speaking to that one tree, but he's really talking about something that's getting ready to change. But then in Matthew's gospel, I believe it is, he comes out of the temple or he's made his triumphant entry and 
Matthew 24, you can find this in the first couple of verses. Matthew 24, as Jesus walks with his disciples, this is what his disciples are doing. I want you to look at this temple. Man, look how wonderful this place is. Look at these buildings. Look at how, look at what we've built for you in your name. See, that temple represented the place where they would meet with God. That temple represented the place that they would worship him. That temple represented the place that they thought and they knew that's where the presence of God is. So when I go to worship and I want to go meet with God and I want to get close to God, I've got to go to the temple. But then Jesus looks at him and he makes these words. Uh, this temple isn't going to stand. He said, I'm getting ready to tear down this building. I'm getting ready to destroy that because that is not going to hold me any longer. And it never was meant to hold him. It never was meant to hold him. That was not his plan. It was a part through history for mankind. But now he is redeeming man. He's restoring everything back into its rightful order. So he comes and said, I'm getting ready to do something new. He said, don't let your heart be troubled by the things that you're seeing. Because he said, now, he said, now I've got to go so that my spirit can come and my spirit will dwell in you. My spirit will dwell in you. But you have to understand this is so radically different and the change is becoming so great that Jesus discerned their heart. And he said, don't let your heart be troubled. The word troubled there, it means to be distressed. It means to be like if you've ever been out on the lake and there'll be a lot of people out on the lake this weekend and a great wind comes up and it begins to white cap and that lake begins to get rough or that river. We spend a lot of times out there like that and it begins to cause things to rock and roll. That's what he's talking about. Don't let your heart. I, I know you don't understand what's happening. I, I know you don't understand me leaving you right now. But if you hang with me, Jesus said you will. But don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a mansion. I'm going to prepare a dwelling place for you that where I am, there you will be also. Not once in a while, not on Sunday morning, not on Sabbath, but every day of the week, every moment where you are, I'm going to be. Hello? So he said, don't let your heart be troubled. It also means sedition, which means if you're not careful, you'll let your words begin to talk against what God is doing. You'll begin to speak against the very thing that the Lord is doing. So he said, I'm going. And Thomas speaks up and said, Lord, we know the way. And we do not know where you're going. And you're going. And how can we know? And Jesus said, you do know. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He didn't say you come to the Father by coming to the house. He said you come to the Father through Jesus, through himself. And then Philip speaks up. I like Philip. Philip speaks up and he says, Lord, if you'll show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. 
It's interesting to me, Pastor Val, that he calls Philip, and Philip is the one that speaks up, and Philip is the more practical guy probably of the whole group. Remember at the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus said, Philip uh, said, let's feed him. It was Philip that spoke up and said, Lord, do you know how much money it's going to take to do this? See, that's how Philip thought. But Philip was one of the first disciples that Jesus called. So important to see this. Matter of fact, think about this. He didn't ask for a, a sign. There's nothing tells us that he did a miracle. All that Jesus did was pass by, find Philip and said, follow me. And you know what Philip did? He began to follow, but he didn't just follow. He called out to one of his buddies by the name of Nathaniel. And in the book of John chapter one and verse 43, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have, we have found him who Moses and the law and also the prophets Prophets wrote about Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. Now he's walking in fresh revelation. That's why he could follow Jesus so clearly. This is it. It bore witness in his spirit. This is him who Moses talked to us. This is him who the prophets have prophesied to. But I want you to notice something. Now all of a sudden Philip uh, is questioning. Oh, wait a minute. If you're who you say you are, then show us the father. Here's the deal, church. It's when your heart gets troubled that you start questioning everything. You'll even question the very thing that you've been following. You'll even question, yep, that was in the law. Moses taught about that for years. I've heard it through my, my history. My mom, my dad, my grandparents have taught us about that a Savior that would come. His name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. And yes, we heard the prophets prophesy about this one. And something happened when he came by. Then I knew that was him. But the moment he said, I'm going to change things. Uh if you'll show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. And Jesus speaks to him, and he said, Have I been with you so long, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? Listen to these words. These words are very important. The way he's speaking it. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but I speak, I speak on, uh, uh, but I speak the Father who dwells in me does the work. I don't think I read that quite right, so let me read it again. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Now that may be a clue why most of us are powerless. Because we don't realize he's with us. Come on. He said, the reason I do what I do is because the Father dwells in me and he does the work. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in me, or listen to what he said, or else believe me for the work's sake themselves. 
If you can't grasp what I'm telling you, look back at all the miracles that I did. How could a mere human, how could a man like you do such things if God isn't with him? So then he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater than these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Notice, boy, we love that verse, don't we? The works that Jesus did, I will do also. And that's why we keep screaming for revival. God send revival so we can do your works. And God said, if you only realized I'm already dwelling in you and the works are already there. And he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Why will that happen? Because Jesus says like this, whatever I ask to the Father, he does it. So when you and I ask, Father recognizes us in the same position as the Son, so we carry the same authority in a sense that Jesus carried. But most of us don't recognize it. Hello, because we left him here at the church. He dwells in certain, if I could just get to Asbury. Please, I'm not knocking anything. I'm not knocking anything. If I could just get to Tulsa. If I could just get to wherever. If I, that's where God is right now. I got news for you. He's in this place. He's in this room right here. But he's also greater in this room right here. So then he goes on to say, he said, you're going to do these things. Wait a minute. Why is it that we Pentecostal charismatics talk in tongues do all of this stuff, all we want to talk about is power, and yet we're about as powerless as they can be. I'm not saying everybody, but most are. Because we've got hung up in one area. We stopped at denominationalism. We stopped at this place. Holy Ghost came. I speak in tongues and I'm on my way to heaven. That's all I need. But I want to tell you something. Pentecost came for more than you and I speaking in tongues as much as I believe in it and stand on it. Are we all right? So there's three things I want to share with you that happened at Pentecost. Three things that happened. The first thing Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments and I'll pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may, you need to underline this in your Bible, that he may abide with you forever. Wait a minute, he's coming and he's gonna fill you. Let me share this. We might as well deal with this right here off the top. Holy Spirit is more than an experience. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is equal with the Father, the Son. He is equal. They are all one, but yet very three distinct. Hello? And so when he came, it wasn't just about the experience. Oh, I felt that. They were what? Filled. With the Holy Ghost. In other words, he moved in and took residence. And the word abide there means to dwell with. He wants to do life with us. 
No, you didn't catch that. He wants to do life with us, not just on Sunday morning in an hour and a half that we give him. And for you that got to have three-hour services, not even for the three hours that you're there. And he doesn't stay at the altar when you walk out. He goes to the restaurant with us. He goes to the job with us. He goes to my home with me. When I'm laying down at rest, he's resting inside of me. Oh, come on, somebody. He wants to abide. He's dwelling within us. He said, I'm not going to leave you. He said, I will give you another helper. Two forms you need to understand. A helper that's the Hebrew or the Greek of this is parakletos. One called alongside to stand with you. Come here, Larry. Help me real quickly. He is in me. And only Holy Spirit can do this. He's God. He's everywhere. He's in me, but he's all besides me. So everywhere I go, Holy Spirit is going. Come on. Everywhere I go. So what is he doing? He's saying to me, Zach, I want to help you. Zach, I want to help you. Charlie, I want to help you. Adrian, I'm here to help you. I'm not just here to give you a good feeling. I'm here. And what did he say? I'm with you forever. As the song, thank you, Larry. Even as the song said, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, he never leaves me. He abides on the outside. He abides on the inside to bring me peace. Hello. If you call on him, he'll help you. He really will. Because this is more about relationship than it is an encounter. You have to encounter him, but then he'll bring you into relationship with him. I think about my friend Steve Sampson. We all love Steve. He's one of the craziest guys I've ever seen. He's always been just like he is. He really is. From the first day we met him. And, and you know what Steve does? Steve, if you'll notice something, Steve doesn't depend on out here what you and I do to get Holy Ghost to move. Most of the time, if you'll watch Steve when he comes in, he's got a notepad as he's been in relationship with Holy Spirit saying, hey, what do you want to do tonight? That Holy Spirit has already laid out the directive of the people he's to minister to. I know that because I've thrown away his notepad at times after he used it. He just got this crazy. He told me in dying years ago. See, he followed a Catholic priest for a while, a spirit-filled Catholic priest. He said him and his wife used to sit at home and they'd ask the Holy Spirit about game shows. Uh, who's going to win? See, he believed that Holy Spirit wanted to be in a relationship to deal with every area of our lives. I had to have an MRI done this week. I'm having a little issue with my hand, and so they wanted to do an MRI on my neck and my, my, my wrist. And so if you've never had that done, that's not the most exciting thing under the sun. And especially, it doesn't hurt any, especially if you're claustrophobic. Because they stick you up a straw. (laughs) 
At least that's what it feels like to me. And thank God for technology. They made it a little bit bigger this time. I knew I was going to have have to have it for a couple weeks. It's been on the calendar for at least a week. I'll tell you what. I wasn't looking forward to it at all. I had a few restless nights thinking about it. Be honest. Thinking, oh God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go through this. I know it didn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. It's first time I went, I'm thinking about all they're going to do. The first time I went was, it's been probably seven, eight years ago. They were doing a, an MRI on my neck again. They put me in this tube. I'm walking in this room, that thing don't have an end. It's got one way in, one way out, and I'm not controlling it. She lays me down, straps me down on it, then puts this thing over my head, which even made it even worse. And I'm thinking about all that all week long. I got to go through that again. I got to go through that again. So I just started asking, Holy Ghost, I got to help you. Hey, you said you were with me. You better help me in this. I want you to know this is the honest truth. They shoved me up that straw. It really wasn't that bad. It's bigger. You have to have it done. But I had, I wasn't alarmed. I wasn't disturbed. I wasn't anxious. My heart wasn't driving. Because there have been a few times I've done, get me out of this thing. She said, you all right? I almost went to sleep. Almost. But I had to just sit there and say, thank you, Holy Spirit, because you're helping me in a moment that I need you. It may not be anything you desire, you need, but I needed him at the moment. Pastor, I didn't think Holy Spirit would work that way. Well, why not? He said, I will be with you. Leads me to the second point. I got to land this jet. He says this, he said, I'm not going to leave you orphanless. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be your helper. Listen, you need to ask him about things concerning right now with life. But our problem is we're too clouded with everything in the world. I will say the one thing that I learned this past week, I will bring back is this thing they taught us from day one. Now, we went for discipleship, and they blew my mind because it went a total different pathway than I thought we were going. And I'm in one of the largest churches in the nation. And they said, this is one of the greatest hindrances to most people. You don't know how to shut down and get quiet before the Lord. And they practiced it. Okay, for two minutes, we don't want you to do nothing. Clear your mind. Boy, two minutes, that's not very long. That's 120 seconds, right? But boy, that two minutes, I think 15 seconds in, I think, are we ready to do something? Because see, that's our nature. We don't realize the strategy of the, minute, of the enemy in this moment is to keep us so busy And even when we are spirit-filled, that we are not paying attention and we're not hearing him because we're so clouded and so jaded by everything under the sun from our phones to life to everything that we do. And sometimes the practice is, even in Scripture, the practice is that's why we need a Sabbath 
to shut ourselves down. Well, pastor, this is just how I am. Well, it may be how you are, but it's not how Holy Ghost is going to work. I got thinking about this. I might as well drop this in. We're in the, we're in the age of AI, artificial intelligence. And I saw a clip on the news the other day that scientists are working hard through AI to study our different brain movements. So eventually, I guess they could, we was having a conversation about this yesterday for a few moments, that this thing could be so real, you could get a phone call, and I know my wife's voice, but it'll be so clear. I don't know if it's Diane or if it's artificial intelligence that convince you that you ought to go do this. And we're leaning upon that and don't even realize. And I really believe it's an assignment against the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that wants to direct us and lead us and guide us in everything that we do. That's the second point. When he comes, when he comes. Man, there's so many good things. You need to go read through these chapters. He said these things in verse 25 of chapter 14. He said, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But when the helper, the one called alongside, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Wait a minute. We're all looking for something new. And Holy Ghost is bringing us back. That could be a deception of the enemy. Don't, don't misunderstand. It could be a deception because he just said when he comes, there's two things he's going to do. He's going to guide you, right? He's going to guide you into all truth, into all truth. He will teach you all things and bring you into remembrance of all things that I've said to you. God hadn't changed his mind about a lot of things that you and I think God changed his mind on. But he said, he's going he's to bring me back. Boy, in the last days, Joel prophesied, in the last days I'm going to pour out as the worship team comes back. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. You, you know that passage. And then God says this, I will restore the years. Wait a minute, I'm sending him to give you back everything that you had before the enemy came in. The life that was intended. And if I'm not careful in my pursuit of something new, it might be good, it may feel good for a moment, but it will never compare to how I was to live way back there. Don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about going back to old days and old ways because everything is constantly changing. Are you okay? He's with me. Second thing is, he guides me and he teaches me. Here's the third thing. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. 
John chapter 16, I think it's the 30, I, I think it's chapter 16, the 33rd verse. He said, these things have I spoken unto you that you may, that in me you may have peace, but in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Pastor, this world is getting so dark. But I think if we're abiding in Holy Ghost, in Pentecost, we're really not supposed to be troubled by it. And it's not supposed to be troubling us as much as it is. I believe there's three areas of peace. And when he's talking about peace to a Hebrew, it would be the word shalom. It's more of a greeting than it is an ending or a thing, or a posture. It's a, a greeting. It's a well-being. May it be well with you. May you be whole. May you be successful. May you be prosperous. May you overcome. May you be victorious in all things. So he says, I'm giving you peace, not as the world gives. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Here again, world peace is this. Everything is calm. God said, I give you a peace when everything isn't calm. I, I, I really, I, I like flying, but I don't like it. I don't like turbulence. I figured that out why I don't like turbulence because I, I I mean I haven't seen any of those planes go down and always think that that pilot wants to get there just as well as I do and so I watch people I watch stewardesses when they start getting disturbed I think well it may be time to be disturbed but I realized one day coming down the road driving home from a vacation up 55 we got into a real rough bumpy part of the road and I got out of it my mind went back to an airplane I wasn't one bit disturbed by that bump in the road but what was the difference well up there I'm five miles in the air I'd probably never know if I did fall out of the sky I probably wouldn't know if it hurt or not but I realized something down here was who had control I'm at the wheel. I'm at the wheel. And I just moved over. But I wasn't disturbed. I didn't like it. That this stupid road, I wish they'd paved the streets of Cape. I told Diane the other day, I'm going to run for office on the ticket that I want every road in Cape Girardeau County paved. I got everybody's vote. But God said, I give you peace that no matter what the road is and no matter what the surroundings are, that in me, he's with me. He's with me. Miss Marilyn, he's with you right now. I know you're still hurting, but he's with you right now. And it's okay. But he gives you a peace when you think, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to make it without little daddy. But you know what? He gives you a peace to know 
okay, just for a moment, you'll get up, and now you'll have a strength to go on through the storm. I hope you didn't mind me using that. It means hurt your heart. But when you got the peace of God, he said, my peace comes through the Holy Spirit because he's showing one, you've got peace with God. Two, he gives you a peace with yourself. And three, he gives us a peace with others that we can dwell in this thing. And Jesus goes, and you can read the rest of the chapter and the rest of the books. I didn't even think about this. Acts chapter 1, you've read this verse, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come on you. I had to think about that for a moment. I've, I've used that verse a million times, Miss Judy. Did you ever think about this? Uh, they had power while they were walking with him. He gave them power to cast out demons. They came back and said, the demons are subject. He gave them power to open the blind eyes and all. They did that while they walked with him. The only difference was the man, the person, the body that they could see was present with them. And now he's saying, I'm going. And in their mind, they're thinking, we're done. We have nothing. I believe that's why Jesus said, and you shall receive. After that, when the Holy Ghost came upon those guys, they go and heal the lame man at the, at the gate. And they're threatened and commanded to shut down. Y'all know the story. In chapter 4, they come back to them. Lord, we're doing what you said. Man, we came out. We had great authority a while ago. Just, just a few hours ago, God, we lost it somewhere because they told us we couldn't do this. And this was their prayer. Lord, grant unto us boldness. Grant unto us courage, God, that by stretching forth our hands to heal in the name of Jesus, that mighty signs and wonders would happen. And the Bible said, and suddenly the place was shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Did they lose anything? Nope. Their immaturity and the threat of everything around them told them they didn't have it. And Jesus was just showing them, I haven't left you. I'm still with you. I'm not against us having a fresh Pentecost. I'm going to use it like that experience. But I want to tell you, if, you're, if you've encountered him and he's filled your life, he's with you forever. Now, I've got more message that I could preach at another day. Probably need to do a whole series on this. But I'm telling you, he's with you. And you can have a personal Pentecost today. Matter of fact, it has to be personal. You can't run it on me. That's why the Bible said, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. My Holy Ghost feeling, Him abiding in me may have, may have some help to you, but you really need to have Him that encounter yourself. So you want to know what Pentecost is all about? It's more than just saying I'm Pentecostal. 
And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. He's with me 24-7. When I leave here and I go home and I put my t-shirt on and my shorts or wherever I'm going to put on and I lay down and watch the Cardinal game, he's going to be right there with me. And when I go to Bush Stadium, he's going to be right there with me. I don't know about Cubs fans, but he'll be with me at Cardinal Stadium. I got behind a pickup set Cubs man the other day. I had to move over to another lane. I just couldn't follow. They're in the room, I think. But I want you to know he's not leaving. Because you left this room. He's not leaving. He's with us. We've encountered Pentecost. Use him. Let him help you. Let him strengthen you. Moms and daddies, when you don't know what to do, ask him. Talk to him like you do anybody else. Holy Spirit, what do I need to do? He wants to work for us.